Volume 1, Chapter 7 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, A Legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper. Volume 1, Chapter 7. What a thrice double ass was I to take this drunkard for a god. Caliban. Physical qualities are always prized in proportion to the value that is attached to those that are purely intellectual. So long as power and honor depend on the possession of brute force, strength and agility are endowments of the last importance, on the same principle that they render the tumbler of more account in his troop. And he who has ever had occasion to mingle much with the brave and subject to a qualification that will readily be understood, we might add, the noble savages of this continent, will have remarked that while the orators are in general a class who have cultivated their art for want of qualifications to excel in that which is deemed still more honorable, the first requisite in the warrior is stature and muscle. There exists a curious document to prove how much even their successors, a people in no degree deficient in acuteness, have been subject to a similar influence. We allude to a register that was made of the thews and sinews among the chiefs of the army of Washington during the moment of inaction that preceded the recognition of independence. By this report, it would seem that the animal entered somewhat into the ideas of our fathers, when they made their original selection of leaders, a circumstance that we attribute to the veneration that man is secretly disposed to show a physical perfection, until a better training and experience have taught him there is still a superior power. Our first impressions are almost always received through senses, and the connection between martial prowess and animal force seems so natural that we ought not to be surprised that a people so peaceful and unpracticed in their simplicity betrayed a little of this deference to appearances. Happily, if they sometimes put matter into stations which would have been better filled by mind, the honesty and zeal that were so general in the patriotic ranks carried the country through in triumph. It was a consequence of the high favor enjoyed by all manly or physical qualities in the 16th century that men were even prized for their excesses. Thus, he who could long resist the influence of liquor was deemed, in a more limited sense, as much a hero as he who swung the heaviest mace or pointed the surest cannon in battle. The debauch in which the abbot of Limburg and his neighbor Emic of Leinigen were now engaged was one of no unusual nature, for in a country in which prelates appeared in so many other doubtful characters, it should not excite surprise that some of the class were willing to engage in a strife that had little danger while it was so highly in favor with the noble and the great. The reader will have seen that great progress had been made towards the issue of the celebrated encounter it is our duty to relate even before its precise object had been formally introduced among the contending parties. But while the monks came to the struggle apprised of its motive and prepared at all points to maintain the reputation of their ancient and hospitable brotherhood, the Count of Leinigen, with a sullen reliance on his own powers, that was somewhat increased by his contempt for priestcraft, had neglected to bestow the same care on his auxiliaries. It is scarcely necessary to add that both the abbe and the knight of Rhodes had become heated to garrulousness before they perfectly understood the nature of the service that was expected at their hands, or, we ought rather to say, of their heads. 
With this explanation, we shall resume the narrative, taking up its thread some two hours later than the moment when it was last dropped. At this particular juncture of the strife, Fathers Siegfried and Kuno had become thoroughly warmed with their endeavors, and habitual and profound respect for the abbot was gradually giving way before the quickening currents of their blood. The eyes of the former glistened with the species of forensic ferocity, for he was ardently engaged on a controversial point with Albrecht of Weiderbach. All of those faculties appeared to be rapidly exhaling with his potations. The other Benedictine and the abbe from time to time mingled in the dispute, in the character of seconds, while the two most interested in the issue sat warily collecting their powers and sternly regarding each other, like men who knew they were not engaged in idle sport. This is well with thy tales of Liladum and the Ottoman powers, continued Father Siegfried, pursuing the discourse from a point beyond which we consider it unnecessary to record all that passed. This will do to repeat to the dames of our German courts, for the journey between these Rhenish plains and yonder island of Rhodes is far, and few are inclined to make it in order to convict thy chiefs of neglect or their sworn followers of forgetfulness of their vows. By the quality of my order, Reverend Benedictine, thou pushest words to unseemliness. Is it not enough that the chosen and the gentlest of Europe should devote soul and body to services that would better become thy lazy order, that all that is noble and brave should abandon the green fields and pleasant rivers of their native lands, to endure hot suns and sultry winds from Africa in order to keep the unbeliever in his limits? But they must be taunted with jibes like these. Go, count the graves and number the living, if thou wouldest learn the manner in which our illustrious master held out against Suleiman, or wouldest know the services of his knights. It would sound ill in thy ears were I to bid thee enter purgatory, to inquire into the fruits of our masses and prayers, and yet one and the other are equally easy to perform. Thou knowest well that Rhodes is no longer a Christian island, and that none bearing the cross dare be seen on its shores. Go to, Count Albrecht, thy order has fallen into disuse, and it is better where it is, hid beneath the snowy mountains of the country of Nice, than it might be in the front ranks of Christendom. There is not a crone in Germany that does not bewail the backsliding of an order so esteemed of old, or a maiden that does not speak lightly of its deeds. Heavenly patience, hearest thou this, Monsieur Latouche? and from the mouth of a chanting Benedictine who passeth his days between safe walls of stone, here in the heart of the Palatinate, and his nights on a warm pallet beyond sound, even the rushing winds, unless, in sooth, he be not sent on offices of midnight charity among the believing wives of the faithful. Boy, dost presume to scandalize the church and dare its anger? demanded Bonifacius in a voice of thunder. Reverend Abbot, answered Albrecht, crossing himself for habit and policy equally held him subject to the predominant authority of the age. The little I say is more directed to the man than to his cloth. Let him give utterance to all he fancies, interrupted the wily Siegfried. Is not a knight of Rhodes immaculate, and shall we refuse him the right of speech? It is held at the court of the chivalrous Valois, observed the abbe, who perceived it was necessary to interfere in order to preserve the peace, that the defense of Rhodes was of exceeding valor, and few survived it who did not meet with the high honors from Christian hands. We have seen numberless of the brave knights among us in the most esteemed houses of Paris, and at the merry castle of Fontainebleau, and believe me, none were more sought or better honored. 
The scars of even Marignano and Pavia are less prized than those given by the hands of the infidel. Thou dost well, my learned and self-denying brother, answered Siegfried with a sneer, to remind us of the fight of Pavia and of thy great master's present abode. Are these tidings of late from the Castiles, or is it not permitted to thy prince to dispatch couriers to his own capital? Nay, reverend monk, thou pressest with unkind allusions, and forgettest that, like thee, we are both servitors of the church. We count thee not, one nor the other. Martyred St. Peter, what would become of thy keys were they entrusted to the keeping of such hands? Go, doff thy vanities, lay aside that attire of velvet, if thou wouldest be known as of the flock. Master Latouche, exclaimed Emic, who was boiling with indignation, but who preserved his self-command in order to circulate the cups and to see that each man did true service in the prescribed contest. Tell him of his brother of Wittenberg and these late doings in the hive. Stick that thorn into his side, and thou shalt see him shrink like a jaded and galled steed under a pointed spur. Who art thou, and why dost thou disturb my pleasures? This sudden interruption of himself was addressed by the baron to a youth in neat but modest attire, who had just entered the banqueting room, and who, passing by the menial that filled the glasses at the beck of his master's hand, now stood with a firm but respectful mind at the elbow of the speaker. "'Tis Burkhold, my lord's forester. They bid me come to do your pleasure, noble count. Thou art seasonably arrived to keep the peace between a sworn knight of Rhodes and a garrulous monk of Limburg. This reverend abbot would do thee favor, boy. Burkhold bowed respectfully and turned toward the prelate. Thou art the orphan of our ancient liegeman, he who bore thy name and was well esteemed among the townsmen of Durkheim. I am the son of him your reverence means, but that he was a liegeman of any of Limburg, I deny. Bravely answered, boy, shouted Emic, striking his fist on the table so hard as to threaten destruction to all it held. Ay, and as becomes thy master's follower. Hast enough, Father Bonifacius, or wilt dip deeper into the youth's catechism? The young man has been tutored to respect his present ease, returned the abbot, affecting indifference equally to the exultation of the count and to the disrespect of his forester. When he next comes to our confessionals, there will be occasion to give him other schooling. God's truth, that hour may never happen. We are half disposed to live on in our sins and to take soldiers' fortune in these stirring times, which is ever the chance of sudden death without the church's passport. We are fast getting of this mind. Are we not, brave Burkhold? The youth bowed respectfully, but without answering, for he saw by the inflamed countenances and swimming eyes of all at the table that the moment was one in which explanations would be useless. Had it been possible to doubt the cause of the scene he witnessed, the manner in which glass after glass was swallowed at the will of the cupbearer would have explained its nature. But far advanced as Father Bonifacius had now become in inebriety, in common with the other guests, he retained enough of his faculties to see that the words of Emic contained an illusion of a dangerously heretical character. "'Thou art resolved to despise our counsel and our warnings?' he exclaimed, glancing fiercely at one and the other. "'Twere better to say at once that thy wish is to see the walls of Limburg Abbey lying on the side of Limburg Hill.' "'Nay, reverend and honored priest, thou pushest a few hasty words beyond their meaning.' 
What is it to account of the noble house of Linogen that a few monks find shelter for their heads and ease for their souls beneath a consecrated roof within cannon shot of his own towers? If thy walls do not tumble until hand of mine helps to unsettle them, they may stand till the fallen angel that set them up shall aid in their overthrow. Truly, Father Bonifacius, for a godly community, this tale of thy sanctuary's origin makes it none of the best parentage. Hear ye that, sputtered Albrecht of Weiderbach, who, through his tongue, had continued to sound a sort of irregular accompaniment to his cousin's speeches, was no longer able to articulate clearly. Hear ye that, imp of St. Benedict, the devil set ye up and the devil will be your downfall. Liladam is a saint to thy holiest, and his good sword. At this word, the knight of Rhodes succumbed, losing his balance in an animated effort to gesticulate and fairly falling under the table. A sarcastic smile crossed the abbot's face at this overthrow of one of his adversaries, while Emic scowled in disdain at the ignoble exhibition made by his kinsman, who, finding it impossible to rise, resigned himself to sleep on the spot where he had fallen. Swallow thy Rhenish monk, and count not on the slight advantage thou hast got in the overthrow of that prating fool, said the host, whose tones grew less and less amicable as the plot thickened. But to a more fitting subject, Burkhold is worthy of his lord, and is a youth that thinks of things as things appear. We may quit thy confessionals for divers reasons, as thou knowest. Here is the monk of Erfurth. Ha! What think you of his new teaching, and of the manner in which he advises the faithful to come to the altar? You have had him in Rome and at Worms, and among ye in many councils, and yet the honest man stands fast in all reasonable opinions. Thou hast heard of Luther? Is it not so, young Burkhold? Tis certain, my lord count, that few in the Jaegerthal escape the tidings of his name. Then are they in danger of a most damnable heresy interrupted Bonifacius in a voice of thunder. Why tell me of this driveler of Erfurth, Lord Emic, if thou art not in secret praying that his rebellious wishes may prosper at the church's cost? But we mark thee, irreverent count, and hard and gripping penance may yet purge thee of these prurient fancies. Here the abbot inflamed as he was with wine and resentment paused, for the silent monk, Father Kuno, fell from his seat like a soldier shot in battle. The simple inferior, having entered into the trial of heads, more with a relish for the liquor than with any thought of victory, and having, in consequence, done so much honor to the potations as to become an easy sacrifice to the common enemy. The abbot looked at his prostrate follower with grim indifference, showing by his hard, scowling, and angry eye that he deemed the loss of little moment to the main result. Ah, oh, what matters the impotency of a fool? He muttered, turning away to his principal and only dangerous opponent with a full return of all his angry feelings. That the devils are suffered to gain a momentary and specious triumph. We are well aware, Baron of Hartenburg. By my father's bones, proud priest, but thou strangely forgettest thyself. Am I not a prince of Lenigen, that one of the cowls should please to call me less? I should have said the summer landgrave, answered Bonifacius sneeringly, for the long-smothered hatred was beginning to break through the feeble barriers that their reeling faculties still preserved. I crave pardon of your highness, but a short reign leaves brief recollections. Even thy subjects, illustrious Emic, may be forgiven that they know not their sovereign's title. 
The coronet that is worn from June to September scarce gets the fit of the head. It was worn longer, Abbot, than ever head of thine will wear a saintly crown. But I forget my ancient house, and the forbearance due to a guest, in honest anger at an artful and malignant monk. Bonifacius bowed with seeming composure, and while each appeared to recover his moderation in a misty recollection of the true affair in hand, the dialogue between the abbe and Father Siegfried, which had been drowned by the stentorian lungs of the principal disputants, broke out in the momentary pause. "'Thou sayest true, reverend father,' said the former, "'but were our fair and sprightly dames of France "'to perform these pilgrimages to distant shrines "'of which thou speakest, "'rude treatment in the wayfaring evil company "'and haply designing confessors "'might tarnish the present luster of their graces "'and leave them less ornaments to our brilliant and gallant court "'than they at present prove. "'No!' I espouse no such dangerous opinions, but endeavor, by gentle persuasion and courtly arguments, to lead their precious souls nearer to the heaven they so well merit, and which it were scarce impious to say they will so rarely become. This may be well for the towering fancies of thy French imaginations, but our slower German minds must be dealt with differently. By the mass! I would give little for the success of the confessor that should deal only in persuasive and gentle discourse. Here we throw out manifold hints of damnation in plainer speech. I condemn no usage on speculation, Benedictine, but truly this directness of condemnation would be thought indecorous in our more refined presences. As yet, thou wilt acknowledge we are less tainted with heresies than thy northern courts." Here the deep voice of Emic, who had recovered a little self-command, again drowned the by-play of the subordinates. We are not children, most reverend Bonifacius, he resumed, to irritate ourselves with names, that I have been denied the honors and rights of my birth and line, for one come of no direct descent is admitted, but let it be forgotten. Thou art welcome to my board, and there is no dignitary of the church or of thy brotherhood that I esteem more than thee and thine within a hard ride of these towers. Let us be friends, holy abbot, and drink to our loving graces. Count Emic, I pledge thee and pray for thee as thou meritest. If there have been misunderstandings between our convent and thy house, they have come of the misguiding of the devil." We are a peaceful community, and one given to prayer and a just hospitality than to any grasping desire to enrich our coffers. On these points we will not dwell, Father, for it is not easy for baron and abbot, layman and priest, to see at all times with the same eyes. I would that this question of authority in Durkheim were fairly disposed of, that there might always be good neighborhood in the valley." Our hills shut in no wide plain like yon of the river that we must needs turn the little level land we have into a battleground. By the mass, most holy abbot, but thou wouldst do well to dismiss the elector's troops and trust this matter between us to gentle and friendly argument. If it were the last prayer I uttered before passing into the fruition of a self-denying and holy life, princely emic, thy wish should not want support. Have we not often professed a willingness to refer the question to the Holy Father or any other high church authority that can fittingly take cognizance of so naughty a point? Less than this arbitration would scarce become our apostolic mission. 
God's truth, Meinherr Wilhelm, but ye are too grasping for those who mortify the flesh. Is it meet, I ask ye, that a goodly number of valiant and painstaking burghers should be led by shaven crowns in the day of strife, in fair and foul, evil and good, like so many worthless women, who, having lived in the idleness and vanities of gossip and backbiting, are fain to hope that their sex's sin may be hid beneath a monk's frock. Give me up, therefore, this question of Durkheim, and certain other rites that might be fairly written out, and the saints in paradise shall not live in more harmony than we of the Jägerthal. Truly, Lord Emic, the means of fitting us for the heavenly state thou namest have not been forgotten, since thou hast made a purgatory of the valley these many years. By the mass, priest, thou again pushest thy remarks beyond discreet speech. In what manner have I ought to bring this scandal on the neighborhood, beyond a mere forethought to mine own interest? Hast thou not opened thy abbey gates to receive armed and irreligious men? Are not thy ears hourly wounded by rude oaths, and thy eyes affronted by sights that should be thought unseemly in a sanctuary? Nay, that thou mayest not suppose I am ignorant of thy hidden intentions, do not the armed bands of Duke Friedrich lie at watch this very moment within thy cloisters? We have a just caution of our rights and of the church's honor, answered Bonifacius, who scarce endeavored to conceal the contemptuous smile the question excited. Believe me, Abbot of Limburg, so far from being the enemy of our holy religion, I am its sworn friend. Else should I long since have joined the proselytes of this brother Luther, and have done thee harm openly. Twere better than to pray at our altars by day and to plot their fall at night. I swear by the life of the emperor that thou urgest me too far, haughty priest. The clamor created by the abbe and Father Siegfried here caused the two principal speakers to direct their attention, for the moment, to the secondary combatants. From a courtly dispute, the argument had got to be so confused and warm between the latter that each raised his voice in a vain endeavor to drown that of his adversary. It was but an instant before the whirling senses of M. Latouche, who had only maintained his present place in the debauch by fraud, gave way to so rude an assault, and he staggered to a settee where, gesticulating wildly, he soon sunk at his length, unable to lift his head. Father Siegfried witnessed the retreat of his mercurial foe with a grin of exultation. Then he raised a ferocious shout which, coming from his lungs, that had so lately chanted to the honor of God, caused the young Burkhold to shudder with horror. But the glazed eyes of the monk and his failing countenance betrayed an inability to endure more. After staring wildly about him, with the unmeaning idiocy of a drunkard, he settled himself in his chair and closed his eyes in the heavy sleep that nature unwillingly furnishes to those who abuse her gifts. The abbot and the count witnessed the manner in which their respective seconds were thus put hors de combat in sullen silence. Their growing warmth and the feelings excited by the mention of their several grievances had insensibly drawn their attention from the progress of the contest, but each now regained a certain glimpse of its nature and of its results. The recollection served to recall the temper of both, for they were too well practiced in these scenes not to understand the value of presence of mind in maintaining the command of their faculties. Our brother Siegfried hath yielded to the frailties of nature, noble Emic, resumed Boniface, smiling as placidly on his remaining companion as flushed features and a heated eye would permit. 
The flesh of priests can endure no more than that of laymen, else would he have seen thy flasks drained of the last drop, for better intention never filled grateful heart in doing honor to the gifts of providence. Aye, thou passest thy debauches to the account of this subtlety, while we of the sword, Master Abbot, sin tonight and ask forgiveness tomorrow, without other pretense than our pleasures. But the hood of a monk is a mask, and he who wears it thinks he hath a right to the benefit of the disguise. I would I knew to a bodice the number of burghers' wives thou hast shrived since Corpus Domini. Jest not with the secrets of the confessional, Count Emic. The subject is too sacred for profane tongues. There has been bitter penance for greater than thou. Nay, mistake me not, holy abbot, returned the baron, hurriedly crossing himself. But your bold talkers say there is discontent in Durkheim on this point, and I deem it friendly to communicate the accusations of the enemy. This is a moment in which our German monks are in danger, for, in sooth, thy brother of Erfurth is no driveler in his cry against Rome. The eye of Father Boniface flashed fire, for none are so quick to meet or so violent to resent attacks on what they consider their rights as those who have long been permitted to enjoy monopolies, however frail or unjust may be the tenure of their possession. In thy heart, Rudimic, thou clingest to this heresy, he said. Beware in what manner thou castest the weight of thy example and name into the scale against the commands of God and the authority of the church. As for this Luther, a backsliding wretch that unquiet ambition and love for a professed but misguided nun, having urged to rebellion, the devils are rejoicing in his iniquity, and imps of darkness stand ready to riot in his final and irretrievable fall. By the mass, father, to a plain soldier it seemeth better to wive the sister honestly than to give all this scandal in Durkheim, and otherwise to do violence to the peace of families on the fair plains of the Palatinate. If brother Luther hath done no more than thou sayest here, he hath fairly cheated Satan, which is what thy community did of old when it got the evil spirit to aid in raising thy chapel, and then, with no great regard to the debtor's obligations, sent him away penniless. Were the truth no anemic, I fear it would be found that thou hast faith in this silly legend. If thou hast not outwitted the devil priest, it hath been that his prudence hath kept him from bargaining with those he knows to be his betters in cunning. By the rude, twas a bold spirit that would grapple wit to wit with the monks of Limburg. Disdain kept the abbot from answering, for he was too superior to vulgar tradition to feel even resentment at an imputation of this kind. His host perceived that he was losing ground, and he began to see, by the manner in which his senses were slowly receding, that he was in imminent danger of forfeiting the important stake that now depended wholly on his powers of endurance. The abbot had a well-earned reputation of having the strongest head of all the churchmen of the Palatinate, and Count Emic, who was no wise wanting in physical excellence of this sort, began to feel that species of failing which is commonly the forerunner, as it is often the cause of defeat. He swallowed bumper after bumper, with a reckless desire to overwhelm his antagonist without thought of the inroads that he was producing on his own faculties. Bonifacius, who saw and felt his superiority, willingly indulged his antagonist in this feverish desire to drive the struggle to a premature issue, and several glasses were taken in a sort of sullen defiance, without a syllable issuing from the lips of either. In this strait, the Count turned his swimming eyes toward his attendants, in a vague hope that they who served him so faithfully on ordinary occasions might aid him in the present desperate emergency. 
Young Burkhold Hintermeyer stood near his lord in respectful attendance on his pleasure, for habit prevented him from withdrawing without an order. Enough had fallen from the parties in this singular contest to let him into the secret of its object. He appeared to understand the appeal, and advancing to do the office of cupbearer, a duty that in truth required some such interference, for he who should have discharged it had been too diligently imitating those at the board, to be able any longer to acquit himself with propriety of his functions. "'If my lord abbot would but relieve the passing time,' said Burkhold, as he poured out the wine, "'by descanting more at large on this hearsay, he might be the instrument of saving a doubting soul. "'I freely confess that, for one, I find much reason to distrust the faith of my fathers.' "'This was attacking the abbot on his weakest, not to say his only vulnerable point.' "'Thou shalt smart for this, bold boy,' he cried, striking the table with a clenched fist." Thou harborest heresy unfledged and paltry reasoner on apostolic missions. Tis well, tis well, the impudent avowal is noted. Emic made a sign of gratitude, for in his rage the priest took a heavy draught, unconscious of what he was about. Nay, my lord, the most reverend abbot will pardon imprudent speech in one little gifted in knowledge of this sort. Were it to strike a wild boar, or to stop a roebuck, or haply to do harm to my master's enemies, this hand might prove of some account. But is it matter of fair surprise that we of simple wit should be confounded, when the most learned of Germany are at a loss what to believe? I have heard it said that Master Luther made noble answers in all the councils and wise bodies in which he hath late appeared. He spoke of the tongue of Lucifer! roared the abbot, fairly frothing with the violence of ungovernable rage. Whence cometh of this new and late discovered religion? Of what stock and root is it? Why hath it been so long hid? And where is its early history? Doth it mount to Peter and Paul, or is it the invention of modern arrogance and rank conceit? Nay, father, the same might be asked of Rome itself before Rome knew an apostle. The tree is not less a tree after it hath been trimmed of its decayed branches, though it may be more comely. Father Bonifacius was both acute and learned, and under ordinary circumstances even the monk of Wittenberg might have found him a stubborn and subtle casuist, but in his actual condition the most sophistical remark, if it had but the aspect of reason, was likely to inflame him. Thus assailed, therefore he exhibited an awful picture of the ferocity of human passions when brutalized by indulgence. His eyes seemed starting from his head, his lips quivered, and his tongue refused its functions. He was now in the predicament in which the Count had so lately stood, and, though he foresaw the consequences with the desperation of an inebriated man, he sought the renewal of his forces in the very agent which had undermined them. Count Emic himself was past intelligible utterance, but eloquence not being his strongest arm, he still maintained sufficient command of his physical powers to continue the conflict. He flourished his hand in defiance, and muttered words that seemed to breathe hatred and scorn. In this manner did a noble of an illustrious and princely house, and a mitred prelate of the church, stand at bay with little other consciousness of the existence of the nobler faculties of their being than that connected with the common mercenary object which had induced this trial of endurance. The church's malediction on ye all! Boniface at length succeeded in uttering. Then falling back in his elbowed and well-cushioned chair, he yielded his faculties to the sinister influence of the liquor he had swallowed. 
When Emic of Leinigen witnessed the overthrow of his last antagonist, a gleam of intelligence and triumph shot from beneath his shaggy brows. By a desperate effort, he raised himself and stretching forth an arm, he gained possession of the deed by which the community of Limburg formally released its claims upon the products of the disputed vineyards. Arising with the air of one accustomed to command, even in his cups, he signed for his forester to approach, and aided by his young and nervous arm, he tottered from the room, leaving the banqueting hall like a deserted field, a revolting picture of human infirmity and its degradation and neglect. As the Count fell heavily upon his couch, clad as he had been at table, he shook the parchment towards his young attendant till the folds rattled. Then, closing his eyes, his deep and troubled breathing soon announced that the victor of this debauch lay like the vanquished, unconscious, feverish, and unmanned. Thus terminated the well-known debauch of Hartenburg, a feat of physical endurance on the part of the stout baron who prevailed, that gained him little less renown among the boon companions of the Palatinate than he would have reaped from a victory in the field and which, strange as it may now appear, derogated but little from any of the qualities of the vanquished. End of Volume 1, Chapter 7, read by Joel Kendrick.